in the Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Daniel chapter 7, verses 15 through 28 with Pastor John King. I have one question about the, uh, the uh, sunrise service. Wasn't the, weren't the ladies the first ones to the tomb? Just saying. The guys get to sleep in a little bit and the ladies are going to come. It's not going to work that way. I will say, uh, for that service, it's going to be extremely simple. We're not going to have a big PA system out there. Uh, maybe one guitar. We're going to have some devotionals. We're just going to re- revisit the, the, uh, the morning when, uh, when Mary came to the tomb. That's what we're planning on doing. And we're going to be able to do it, Lord willing, pray for weather. Uh, we'll have some good weather and we'll be able to watch the sunrise. And then uh, after all that, um, we'll probably be hungry. And so we're having breakfast. Anyway, uh, thank you everybody for coming out today. It's another great day uh, to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, today we're going to go finish the second half of Daniel chapter 7. We'll be covering uh, verses 15 through 28. Uh, Let's cover, there's a lot of ground covered here by Daniel when you think about it. Uh, Last week we looked at Daniel's first uh, of four prophetic visions that he had concerning the history and the destiny of the nations, of the entire world. These visions give us a clearer understanding that God is in control of what? The unfolding of history. You say his story. And that ultimately he will return to establish his kingdom on earth. You know, it's interesting, we're, we're in between, we're going we're to celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but we, we really look forward to his return, don't we? We really do. And we need that encouragement. Of course, last week we reviewed the four Gentile kingdoms from chapter 2. They were described in our chapter, our present chapter, as beasts. Daniel describes them as beasts, rising in succession from the great sea of humanity. And we also started to look at a coming world leader described by Daniel as one with eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. This week, Daniel is having these incredible visions, and today we learn that he seeks help from one of the heavenly angels in his vision. Why does he do that? Because he cannot interpret the dream for himself. The Lord gave him the ability to interpret dreams and to read handwriting on the wall, etc. But he cannot interpret these dreams for himself. So we left off with Daniel having a vision of a future heavenly courtroom with Yahweh, who was referred to as the Ancient of Days. You see it there in your text. Seated on a fiery throne, surrounded by a multitude of angels who were ministering to him, along with an untold number who stood before him in judgment. This was followed by the final transition to human dominion. You know, man's opportunity to try and get things right, and of course the last kingdom on earth is going to be a very wicked kingdom. But man's opportunity to get things right in his own strength and to govern himself has now ended. And so they're going to, the, the, the kingdom will be handed over to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But while he's seeing all that, keep in mind, he's, he sees, he's recording the main facts, the main 
uh, story, the, the sum of all things. But he's really intrigued by the fourth kingdom, which we've identified as the Roman Empire, and the little horn who arises from among the ten nations associated with this kingdom. This is the Antichrist. And he will ultimately be cast alive into the lake of fire burning with brimstone, according to Revelation 19.20, which Daniel saw in his vision. We saw it last week, verse 11. He says, I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. And then Daniel watched, and you can see, we'll look at it together, verses 13 and 14, he saw the second coming of Jesus. Notice, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Verse 15, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So today we continue in verse 15, Daniel's visions to be interpreted, verses 15 through 28. He says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me, and I came near to one who's, of those who stood by, one of the angels, and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings, which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Verse 19, Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before the, which three of them fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom, and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones, and shall subdue the three kings." He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But the court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom of the, and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Verse 28. This is the end of my account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. 
Heavenly Father, we ask once again for you to go before us, Lord. We, we have your word before us, and Lord, we seek to understand it better to a greater degree for the purpose of making us, you know, solid witnesses for you, knowing your word and knowing the plans that you have for the future so that we can tell others, you know what, there's a world coming when judgment is going to happen. And we can tell others that if they're not ready for judgment, that they too will be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone. And so, Father, we ask that you would equip us today, equip us this morning as we read and study your word. And we ask you to go before us. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. <clears throat> so, here's Daniel, and he seeks, first of all, to have his visions interpreted. We said he can't interpret it on himself, uh, by himself. He says, I was grieved in my spirit within my body. Interesting way of saying things, isn't it? This grieving is sort of like distressed, and it's the sense of piercing, being pierced. This is really troublesome to him. But he says, in my spirit, I was grieved. My spirit within my body. Now we know, uh, we've learned that the spirit of a human, okay, not the Holy Spirit, but your spiritual being is the seat of your mind. It's been said many ways. And he says, within my body. Now, interesting side note. Scholars like to point out that the Aramaic word used here for body is what we would call a sheath like the sheath of a knife or a sword. So he's speaking figuratively. The body is a sheath for our eternal soul and spirit. The human spirit is different from the body and can exist independently of it as you study the Bible. You know that when you die and you go, your body goes to be you know, into the grave and it starts to decompose, but where do you go? Where, where does the real you go? Your spiritual sense. You go to be with the Lord in paradise. And then at the resurrection of the saints, when, they, when he calls the church, your body, your, your soul is reunited with a heavenly body. So it can be, we can be uh, you know, separate. It can exist separately because we're eternal. Whether you end up in eternal heaven or eternal torment, it's eternal. And he says, and the visions of my head troubled me. They were terrifying. They were alarming. The visions of my head. In other words, he was seeing these things in his mind's eye while he's having a dream. And so he says in verse 16, I came near to the one who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. We said Daniel had previously been an interpreter, but now he needed one. Now one of these, we don't know who he is, but he's an unnamed angel. But we, all, but we do know when we get to the next couple chapters that he will name the angel in two other visions. And his name is Gabriel. So it's possible that he just simply didn't name Gabriel. We don't know. In, in Daniel 9.21, it says, Yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, caused, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. So he refers to him. In chapters 8 and 9, we will see that Daniel is named as the one who interprets uh, Daniel, two of Daniel's visions. And he says, to the truth of all this. So I came near and asked him to the truth of all this, to be certain and true. And you know, when you approach a heavenly angel for truth, he's not going to lie to you. because He's a heavenly angel, and he's in the presence of the Lord, and he can't have any sin. And this is an interesting uh, situation, uh, amazing situation as we read this. 
And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. This was not just a perception by Daniel, but a true explanation of these things. The whole affair, everything he saw, this angel revealed to him. You think about this. This is, a, this is an intriguing situation because Daniel's dream occurred while he was asleep, you know, in his bed at night, yet he was also a participant who can approach an angel for the interpretation. I mean, that's an extraordinary dream. You know, it would be similar to Paul's vision of a third heaven. You recall he wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 1 and 3, where he wasn't sure where he was, but he said, God knows. You know the text. It says, it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then he says, I know a man in Christ, that's Paul. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether I was in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know. God knows. Such a one, Paul, was caught up into the third heaven. And I know such a man whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, but God knows. So sometimes we've got to leave the mysteries to the Lord. In verse 17, these great beasts, which are four, he's explaining to them, which are four kings, which arise out of the earth. We've already determined that, representing the kingdoms of Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Warren Wiersbe writes this. He says, the same sequence of empires that Nebuchadnezzar had seen in his dream Back in chapter 2, there's the same sequence of empires. However, the king saw a great and impressive image made of valuable metals, while Daniel saw dangerous beasts that ruthlessly devoured peoples and nations. To human eyes, he writes, the nations of the world are like Nebuchadnezzar's great image. They're impressive and important. But from God's viewpoint, the nations are only ferocious beasts that attack and seek to devour one another. Over and over throughout the Bible, we've seen man, apart from God, destroy the world. And then, well, God destroyed the world, but they were deserting. You know, when Noah came, every thought, every thought in the mind of all the people who inhabited the earth uh, was wicked all the time, apart from Noah and his family. So this is, this is historically true of the human race. And all we have to do is look around and see what's going on in the world right now. Why a man would use high technology weapons to shell apartment buildings and hospitals and orphanages for his political ambition is wicked. And we see it in our day, and we're, we're, you know, we've seen it all throughout history. But he says here in verse 18, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So we're going to see here in a minute, but there's a two-stage delivery of this heavenly kingdom. But he writes here, he says, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. To receive means God's promises to give people the kingdom. But he says, then you'll possess them. In other words, possess the kingdom forever and ever. That means receiving from God, taking possession of forever, foreverlasting, perpetual this brings us to an interesting discussion, sort of a side note, if you will. When the day of the fourth beast is over, says one writer, then God's people receive the kingdom. Yet we know that the Roman Empire is long gone. 
And it doesn't seem that the saints have received the kingdom. Now, what, what were, why would I say that? Why, why, are we, why am I framing it that way? That was written by David Guzik. The reason is, is because some Christians hold that you either have a past event, all these things we're reading about in Daniel all took place historically, or, and it's already been fulfilled in history, by the way, or a future event that involves the restoration of the Roman Empire in the last days, which is what I believe and what we teach here at Calvary Chapel. Because this will literally fulfill this prophecy of the ten horns and the little horns rising up among them. Among them. This was not historically, that had not happened. Others hold to the view that the church is somehow going to gain dominion over this world, over the entire earth, and then the church will present the world to Jesus. But that's now how it works. This is what we call kingdom now or dominion theology. And I disagree with it. But our text says before, to us, right before us, it says that the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. In other words, you don't gain dominion over these earthly kingdoms before the return of Jesus. We are called to spread the gospel, the good news. But that doesn't give dominion of the world to us. And so I just wanted to point that out. The, the, the wording uh, certainly supports my position. Uh, so in any event, I, I don't know where you're at with that, but I, I would offer that to you for consideration. Now Daniel requests more detail, verses 19 and 22. He says, well, then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all others, as we noticed last week. Unlike the lion, the bear, and the leopard, this beast was like no, nothing he'd ever seen. It was dreadful and terrible. It was scary and mighty, in other words, and it was exceedingly strong. This refers to the Roman Empire. And then it gets more features. It says its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces. Now, we've added a new feature. It also has sharp claws to go along with those vicious teeth in his dream. This is a dream that Daniel's having, and it's being interpreted to him by this angel. In verse 20, and then he explains, and he says, Well, the ten horns which were on its head and the other horn which came up before, the three, uh, before them, three of them fell. So he overcame three, this, this rising uh, power, this other horn, overcame three of this ten-nation confederation all prior to Jesus' return. And then he says, namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words. In other words, Daniel wanted to know more detail and the angel's given it to him. He's given him more detail about this. Namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Daniel's very interested it's, it's actually personified. It's not just an animal. It's, it's something worse. Uh, it's not just a beast, a vicious beast. It's a monster. It says, spoke pompous words. Now, pompous words mean great or domineering. The uh, New Living Translation would said, boasting arrogantly is how they would put it. Whose appearance was greater than his fellows. In other words, he was more stout. You, you know, nobody, no, none of the politicians of this day will be able to overcome this guy. This world dictator will have great oratory skills and a powerful domineering presence as compared to all other world leaders. And you know, we live in a world where looks are, you know, pretty much everything. And so he's going to be very, very uh, capable of of drawing together this revived Roman Empire and eventually. Uh, going down to uh, invade Israel. 
and not invade, but to take over and to get. He talks Israel into signing a treaty, and then he turns his back on them, and he and he turns on them and shows who he really is. But anyway, that's in that's in Revelation. We're not talking quite about quite a, as much detail uh, today about that. So he says, "I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them." So. You know, more detail about this little horn. He's getting more explanation, and he's also seeing a deeper vision. He's seeing, oh, now he's, now he's up to real no, he's really gone to no good, if you will. He's really become the aggressor, and he's coming against the saints. These are the tribulation saints and the, and the nation Israel on, on the planet Earth at that time. And he's prevailing over them to overcome. So he's gone way past being a great leader as he turns into a complete monster. You can see this in Revelation chapter 13. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given to him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life, uh, excuse me, a book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. But at some point it has to stop. And so in verse 22 we say, until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. So you see, there was a limit set by God. And when God sets boundaries or God sets limits, you can count on it that he is going to make sure that they are maintained. Whatever it is, whatever he says is going to happen will happen in his timing. Now, three times in Daniel, he uses the term Ancient of Days. That's very unique to Daniel when he describes Yahweh or God. We've already seen Daniel use this name for God in verses 9 and 13. In verse 9 of Daniel, we see, there it is, Daniel describes God in a human form. Notice it says, In the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and his hair of his head was like pure wool. But this description of God cannot be taken literally because God doesn't have a body uh, he doesn't wear clothes or grow white hair. So, you know, this is uh, this, the things about God, this is the things that are symbolic of his nature and character. And sometimes in the Bible, when you see God being described in human form, it's because what's, what's most important about that is his nature and his character that's attached to that. And he is eternal. He's holy and sovereign. Ancient of days, eternal, holy, and sovereign. And these, uh, in Revelation 1, 12 through 20, which I'm not going to read, these same characteristics, by the way, are applied to Jesus Christ. What does that do? It proves that he is the eternal son of God. He's eternal. Now in verse 13, we see that Daniel applied ancient of days to the father because in the same sentence, he also says son of man. So there's a distinction now. Verse 13, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. So together, now he's, he's referring to the Ancient of Days, excuse me, as the Father. But here we are in verse 22, and Daniel does another thing. He applies it to the Son. He applies it to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. 
Why do we, how do we know that? Because we know that Jesus has many names. And if you look at Isaiah 9, 6, it describes the names. It says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here we have this Ancient of Days, Daniel using it in, in various ways to point out um, God's character, God the Father and the Son, or God the Son. But keep in mind that the Father, some would say, has, has never said to come. It is the Son who comes to, to get his church. It is this Jesus Christ who is coming back. And so judgment was made. Judgment includes rule. Judgment here includes ruling in favor of the saints, which leads to what? And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. The times of the Gentiles that Jesus described in Luke 21, 24 is now over and the kingdom age has come. The final kingdom, as I said earlier, is given to Jesus and then the church or the saints of God, all of the believers. The final kingdom is given in two stages. First, it's given to Jesus where he receives judgment which includes rule or dominion over. And we saw that in Daniel 7, 13 through 14. We read that earlier. Then the kingdom is given to the people of God. You say, well, how can we, how can we share in the ownership with it? Well, because that's what God promises in the Bible. Jesus is going to share his kingdom with us. This is the earthly kingdom, the, great, the millennial reign. How do we know that? Verse, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 and 3. Paul is reasoning Okay, he's, he's got issues in this church where they're fighting and they're suing one another. And he says to them, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world would be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge in the smallest matters? Can't you figure this out? Do you not know that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? And so Paul is, is kind of chastising them now. Now, in Revelation 5.10, we also know that you and I, have he has made us, you and I, kings and priests to our God, to minister to God, and we shall, and we shall reign on the earth, referring to the millennial reign. And so the kingdom is given to the church. And again, in Revelation 20, verse 4, it says, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God. This is during the great tribulation. And who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. To reign is to rule. To reign is to rule. And you may think, I'm not ready. I can't even rule my own household, right? Uh, you're going to give me, Lord, you're going to give me the, uh, that over, you know, you're going to give me a shared dominion over the entire world for a thousand years? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And that's, that kind of comes back to Paul's argument. When we get stuck in these little uh, petty uh, arguments or things that are maybe difficult, sometimes things are difficult to work out. But when we get stuck in them and we can't figure them out, um, and then we, we resort to outside sources, people who have lesser esteem. You see people suing one another all the time now in the body of Christ. It's been going on for a long time. And so Daniel finally receives his answer. But keep in mind that 
uh, one, one commentator wrote this. We're, we're going to go into section uh, 23 through 27. The angel will answer Daniel's questions, and he will explain that both he and future generations, what they need to know, that's our generation, and our children's generation, and the Lord tarries and grandchildren, despite all the war, now keep in mind, despite all the war, all the conflict, lawlessness, and violence on earth, and all the suffering and death of human life, a wonderful hope lies out in the future. And every human being needs to know about this wonderful hope. They need to be encouraged to, take their, to place their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And so if you hear my voice today, or if, even if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you know there's a place where you can place your hope in him. If you will trust in him, if you will, if you will come to him and you, you know, repent of your sins and you, you, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for his forgiveness for sins, that's why he died on the cross for you. And you can receive that if you do it with a, with a, with a contrite heart when you truly admit and you finally give up your stubborn habits, give up your stubborn ways, and submit to God because he will reward you with eternal life. Amen. So our final section here in verse 23, um, you know, we know his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. And it says, thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms. This is the Roman Empire we've been talking about. We know that it was a very powerful... The Roman Empire lasted for at least 600 years. It was different from other kingdoms because of its laws, because of its political structure, and the organization and influence that the Roman culture, Roman Empire had, still affects us to this day. And it shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Basically, at the height of its power, there was nobody to stop Rome, when they set to conquer a nation, they could do it. And so by A.D. 117, Rome was 1.9 million square miles. They controlled every inch of the Mediterranean shoreline. And if you control the shoreline, you control commerce. And they controlled all of it, the southern half of Britain, most of the area around the Black Sea. That was at the peak of their power. So this was a great nation, but it was different than all because its lasting influence went on from... totally shaped uh, parts of Western civilization as we know it. And then he talks about, he says, the ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this fourth kingdom. These ten kingdoms. Now we're, we're going from, this was ancient Rome. We talked about the power of ancient Rome. But there'll be, somehow this Roman empire will revive itself. It will come, come into existence right before Christ returns and sets up his kingdom. And he says, and then another beast shall rise after them. This is the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, the beast. 1 John 2.18, speaking, he's, uh, John wrote, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, but even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. But he shall be different from the first ones, different than the other ten kingdoms that he ends up uh, overpowering. Three he destroys, he subdues three, he humbles them. And it's out of this confederation of ten nations, which in some way is an extension of the Roman Empire, that the Antichrist will come and the final world kingdom will be organized and actively opposed, 
God and his people, writes Warren Wearsby. So when you think about, I want to go to Europe, you might think about, I want to go to Europe for you know, some good Italian or whatever. Uh, but a lot of times you want to go to Europe so you can see those ancient structures. You want to see those ancient civilizations that are still somehow, that concrete poured by the Romans is still strong enough to withhold a lot of weight and strength. It's an amazing thing. Engineers to this day don't understand how this ancient culture could build concrete that is so strong. And yes, it is falling down. So it's not hard to think that this, this Roman Empire could be somehow revived. Revelation 13, 1 and 2, we talk about this fifth kingdom. We've been talking about four kingdoms all along, but this fifth kingdom is the Antichrist. And, and it's interesting because it's sort of like, in these verses, it's like a composite of the four earlier kingdoms. Notice, it says, Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon, who was the devil, gave him his power, his throne, and his great authority. Now, we, all of uh, our adult life, uh, your adult life, I'm sure, uh, you've, you've often heard, you know, like, I wonder who, I wonder who the Antichrist is. Is, is, he, is he alive today? Maybe he's alive and he's around somewhere today. And then, you know, people, in, you look back on history and you say, well, you know, if I was to, to point out a historical figure who was sort of like Antichrist, I might point to Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin. You know, they had this vast control over everything and they, they killed and destroyed millions of people. But it's interesting. Uh, interesting story. One writer says, we need to be cautious about that. He says, during the years between the two world wars, there were some prophetic students. Remember, you know, there were, there were people like us in church watching World War II going, what is going on? I mean, the world is ending, right? And there were some prophetic students who went out on a limb and named Mussolini. Mussolini, the Italian dictator, they named him as the Antichrist. And to make that fit, they began counting how many nations were allied with Italy at the time. Over the centuries, the chief candidate for Antichrist has been the Pope. When you read ancient old commentators, they all talk to, the, if they're Protestants, <laughs> they talk of the Pope as the Antichrist. You can read it, it's historic. And, but each time a new Pope is elective, prophecy addicts try to make his name fit with the number 666. <laughs> One man calculated that Napoleon Bonaparte was the Antichrist, but you had to write his name in Arabic, or Arabic, and then you had to leave out two letters to make that work. Uh, he, says, he goes on, he says, all sorts of numerical gymnastics have been used to identify the little horn, but they weren't very convincing. And I think the point is, Hey, when he arrives, one, if you're a Christian, I believe you're not going to be here. But when he arrives and you're not a Christian and you happen to be alive at that time on earth, you're not going to have any doubt in your mind who he is. In fact, you won't be able to buy or sell without taking his mark. Verse 25, he shall speak pompous words against the Most High. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. He openly defies and opposes the Lord. And we see, we see that all the time now, we see people openly and outwardly coming against God. Because there's many who are under the spirit, the spirit of Antichrist, if you will. He will intend to change the times and law. He will try to change the calendar and the systems of laws. 
But then the saints will be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. What does that mean? That's three and a half years. That's the second half of the tribulation. But you know it's going to end at some point, isn't it? He says it. Verse 26. He says, But the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion to destroy it and consume it and destroy it forever. All the power that this Antichrist managed to get is going to be destroyed. In other words, time's up. God has set a boundary. He's going to consume and destroy it. Back in verse 12, Daniel, part of his vision is he watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. One of the reasons why he wanted to know more about it, because he's, he's seen this incredible vision. And then it says here in verse 27, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the Most High, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, all dominions shall serve and obey him. Jesus' kingdom will go beyond the millennium all the way through eternity. The prayer that you've been praying ever since you were taught little by your mom or your dad or your grandmother, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, heaven be, thy, hallowed be thy name. Let's say it. You guys remember? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're talking about on earth. The millennium, that's what we're talking about. And all dominions shall serve and obey. The last earthly kingdom that's being destroyed at the return of Jesus before the new heaven and the new earth, excuse me, you'll have the last earthly kingdom which will be controlled and run by Jesus and the saints. And then you're going to have the new heaven and the new earth. He's going to roll up the whole world as though it was like a scroll and create a new heaven and new earth after that time. Just near the end of that time of the millennium, you know that Satan will be released to deceive people one last chance. He's going to give one last chance to tell who truly loves the Lord. And he's going to raise another great rebellion and the Lord's going to crush it with just his, the word of his mouth. So we conclude today with verse 28. Daniel received his answer from the angel, but he still lacked complete understanding. Does that sound familiar? I mean, as, you know, as, as terrible as I was at trying to explain this to you today, <laughs> trust me, I could be worse. <laughs> but we are still lacking complete understanding. He says, this is the end of my account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. So when you're dealing with prophecy, you know, it can be exhausting. And that's what it was for Daniel. He was exhausted. In later chapters, we're going to see that after Daniel would receive a vision from the Lord, he would be ill and unable to work for a period of time. When he, he took all this in, it would make him ill. And so he says, I kept the matter in my heart. Here's something to learn. The Holy Spirit intended much more to be understood by Daniel's words than Daniel himself understood. See, we have the Bible. We have, we have all of God's revelation right here in the book, the Bible. Daniel did not have that. In Peter's writings, he explained that you and I are not 
to limit the significance of prophecies to what the prophets understood. Does that make sense? We're not to say, well, look at Daniel and say, well, he didn't understand, so let's limit the understanding of that to him. Peter warns us against that. In fact, he says it in 1 Peter verses, uh, 1, verses 10 through 12. Right? What the prophets were writing in the Old Testament, notice, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You know, they, they didn't understand what they were saying, but they knew it was from God because they were being pushed along, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. It's not that they didn't have personalities. You know, they were actively a part of this, but God directed their words to be written down. Then it was revealed that not to themselves, verse 12, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look to. So when you read Old Testament prophecy, you're being ministered to, even at a time by a writer who didn't quite understand what they were writing according to what Peter's saying. And so we cannot limit our understanding to what they were limited to. So maybe you're exhausted, like Daniel. Not fully understanding all this prophetic teaching. And you're in good company. Deuteronomy 29, 29. He said, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. You know, so if you're confused about prophecy or the things of prophecy, remember, we still have the law of God, the Ten Commandments. You know, there's still something that we can point to and we can use that in ways to evangelize. And some of you are taking the way of the master course of learn, or learning that. So you have stuff that, you know, you can say about prophecy, um, you can say, well, I don't quite understand it all, and that's okay. But you don't want to forget the words of the law because those are solid. Does that make sense? God has given us what Daniel lacked, the whole counsel of God's word for which we are blessed. So stay in the word, stay in prayer, and grow in grace. Amen? Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, give us a chance, Lord, just to kind of soak this all in. I, I, Lord, I pray that people will go and have a heart for a deeper study on this. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be in this book, Daniel, for a while, so we'll be immersed in much uh, future events that are to come. And it's exciting, the times we live in, because we certainly see um, that, you know, who knows, it, it, this may be the time. We may well be the generation that uh, uh, sees the rapture of the church that gets raptured. We don't know. We don't, we don't predict those dates. But we, it might be our time. It might be during our time. And Lord, use that urgency, if you will, that imminency of your return to kindle the fire of, of our hearts to want to tell others about you. Because we live in a nation where even when gas prices are going through the roof and it's hard to put groceries on the table, we're still living in an affluent um, greater than 99% of the rest of the world. And so it's easy for us to become complacent, Lord. We know that. We come, we've become complacent in the blessing that you've given us, Lord. And so will you pierce our hearts? Just as Daniel had that vision, it was, it was, it was you know, rubbed him in a place that was you know, right within his spirit. It bothered him.
And may it bother us today, Lord, that, you know, maybe we're not doing the things that you call us to do. And we know we can't do it in our own strength. So that's not our, our intention, Lord. We want to be filled with you, your Holy Spirit. The Spirit within us needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We need to have you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, we need to receive you and we need to follow you with all of our heart, our mind, and strength. Give us the ability to do that, Lord. Go before us now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel, Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.